Welcome to Songwriter Trists, an intimate podcast that interviews artists about the art of songwriting and find out more about the life behind the songs. I am singer-songwriter Ray Lee and your host for this show. Music saved my life and I want to talk to other songwriters about the power of songwriting, talk about their journey and how they got to where they are today. This is a safe space to share stories, lessons and emotions, all the great things that build an amazing song. Well, I'm my name's Jody Aaron Friedman, and I was born in Clearwater, Florida, and you know, kind of a not really a small town, not really rural, but um, beach town. And I grew up there, and you know, picked up guitar when I was 14, and started playing every day, practicing every day, mm-hmm. and uh, obsessed over it. And I didn't. I didn't take a lesson until I was older. Uh, well, not a guitar lesson, but I, I didn't take voice lessons until I was older. Mm-hmm. I would play by ear. I, I learned by ear and watching my brother uh, practice his guitar. And, um, you know, I fell in love with performing, too. I started writing around the same time and mm. would play coffee houses and um, in town. And, you know, um, yeah. and you ask who I am. It's uh, music is at my core. It's, it's um, you know, even as a kid. Um, a young kid. I liked singing. I liked performing. Um, I did some light acting when I was very young. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I loved pop music and pop melodies and I still do. And then, mm-hmm. uh, I also have a real affinity towards folk singer, songwriter, storytelling. Um, and, you know, at the core, just what makes a good song and crafting a good song and, um, you know, the art of songwriting, which is what, what drew me to you after listening to Lucy's interview. And, um, mm. you know, um, I just, I, I really love what you're doing and I think it's, it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. You said you started playing guitar at 14. Was that your first instrument? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Wow. I wish I had had piano lessons earlier. I'm giving my kids piano lessons. It's but, a good uh, one to start on when you're younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that was it. Yeah. And why like why the guitar? You said your older brother, was he your number one influence for wanting to start? Or was there something else that well, was going on? Yeah, it was girls. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, a group of us that, you know, we saw the girls gravitating towards the musicians. So we're like, well, I can learn guitar. They can do it. I can do it. We all, (laughs) you know, went out and got guitars and started learning and some of us stuck with it and, you know, others petered off. And, you know, I, I was part of a, um, a youth group at the time. And Uh what was really attractive to me was in the youth group, there were these, um, song leaders Mm. and what their, their job in the youth group uh, or their role was to lead everybody in song sessions. And it's really just a group of kids singing songs together. Uh, yeah. You know, some of them, it was a Jewish youth group. So some of them were Hebrew songs, but there were mm-hmm. a lot of English songs, like uh, English popular songs of the time. So it was, I, I loved it. I loved being in the song session, singing along with these song leaders. And then when I learned a guitar, I, I, um, I really wanted to, lead also and um mm. i did i 
I was I practiced and practiced and practiced and then eventually got uh, the appointed role of song rate song leader. Yeah. There were four of us in the region and it was, it was a blast. And I think, um, you know, I really cut my teeth performing there. Do you remember the mm. first time you wrote a song? Uh, my first song was an instrumental song. <laughs> <laughs> so that probably doesn't count, but um, yeah, the first song I wrote was, um, uh, it was, a uh, it was here. It was like, uh, it was very cheesy. It was called charm. Mm. And, you know, I was in a relationship and if I remember, it was like, uh, when we met, it was just the star shot me like an arrow straight to my heart. You know, it was very, uh, <laughs> I don't know, maybe Bon Jovi-ish. Um, you know, the chorus kind of busted out into an, a living on a prayer riff. Yeah. And, oh, uh, nice. Yeah. But it, it, it was, uh, you know, it it spoke to me. I was like a ball of cheese back then. I really was. And, uh, <laughs> romantic. <laughs> yeah. I was a total, totally a hopeless romantic. If, yeah. Like every teenage boy with a guitar. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about since then? Do you have a favorite song that you've, um, released that you just, you know, you love more than anything else? My favorite songs are usually the ones that are not released yet. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm that's normal. yeah. These days, yeah, I, I, you know, I sit on songs like um, one of the ones I have. It's it's a, it's a co-write I did in two years ago in Nashville with um, Dave Tuff, Bill De Luigi, and Adam Crossley, mm. and we wrote a song. I went there for a week and you know did my normal Nashville thing and tried to cram eight songs into a week. Well, we wrote a song called I Dream in Color. Yeah. And uh, it it's just a really, really nice song. And Adam performs it. And, uh, you know, we haven't released it because you know, these days with what I do for, for work, I do, I license music. So a big part of that is waiting a lot. Of, like today, I got a request. We want songs for stuff that's unreleased. Mm-hmm. And if I release it, I can't pitch it. And it, it kind of, right. you know, I, over the years of releasing stuff just for art's sake, and I do have some great songs that I've released. Um, one of my favorites is this song, which was a co-write with uh, Bruce Wallace. And um, I love that song and uh, recorded that in 2015 in Nashville again. And um, I'm real proud of that one. That's one that I've released that, um, yeah, I, I just love that song. I think uh, there's no denying it, the song itself. And it's the same with I Dream in Color. It's just, um, they're very different. I Dream in Color is very, very dark, emotional, and you know, tears at the heartstrings. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the silent, the wicked, the sinner, the saint, who say we're mm-hmm. all different, but we're all the same. The breaking of shackles, like the rattling chains. Yeah. You know, the easel, the canvas, the palette, the paint, it kind of colors and paints a picture. Mm. And then the chorus is, I dream in color. Mm. I see the wonder. Beams of light for one another. Wow. How I'm dreaming or the next line I'm forgetting, but it, the message is, you know, I dream in color, not to see black and white. And it's a very powerful song and a powerful message that I, I hope to share with the world soon. (laughs) So, um, you, you said that. You, they ask for unreleased songs. What, what, what do, what's the difference if a song is released versus not released? 
perceived difference a lot of the time. And, and with a TV show, for instance, for them to use a song that's from 2020 in this season of Younger or Lucifer or whatever mm-hmm. show it might be, for them, it has a cool factor instead of using a song that was recorded back in 2010. You know? Yeah. Um, it also, part of it, of course, ties to the production of it. If a song mm-hmm. is produced to sound a certain way, it can sound dated. What sounds, you know, dated now didn't sound dated 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what we produce these days and what they're using on the show these days or shows, it'll sound dated in two years, you know? So there's, wow. yeah, there's, I mean, well, there's, there, that's not always the case. I shouldn't say it so matter of factly like that mm-hmm. because you produce something a certain way it can be timeless and mm. um that's what i what i'm i try to do with my songs these days ones i'm i'm writing or involved with writing on is produce them in a way that's timeless and then i don't release them until there's a reason to release them meaning that i have some something some sort of placement or activity to create some buzz about that song that Okay, okay, it's it's now technically in, in the public. People can find it on the show or in the trailer or wherever it is. Yeah. So I can release it and, you know, co-promote it side by side. Yeah, that sounds like smart, just smart business work, really. I'd never thought about it like that. I'm, I'm probably still adjusting the release it for the sake of art. <laughs> I, I have to be honest, though, I don't understand really anything about the sync world or licensing music for other forms of art. How did you, how did you get into that? I worked for seven years at CNN. And when I was there in New York, I majored in TV and Mm -hmm. in New York, I was gigging, um, still trying to get a recording contract. Mm -hmm. Um, this was in 2005 and I wrote a song that ended up being used on the show I was working on. Uh, so that was my, I, I didn't know that there, what, monies were there but i knew there i'd heard about publishing and royalties and i thought i need to look into this so i started learning about it reading books about it and then you know um quit my job (laughs) (laughs) i quit my job before getting paid believe it or not it was uh it was kind of like um we were tired of new york we were tired of you know living in a confined apartment with our dogs so we decided to give california a try so we we quit our, quit our jobs. My, my fiance at the time, now my wife, and we, we moved out West and mm. on the way out, we got, I got the royalty check for that use that went back year and a half. So it was, um, it was a sign for me that, you know, you made the right choice and it was a really hard choice because I was at a good paying job and, yeah, you know, we came to California with nothing and, um, that, that check hit across coming across. And I, I looked at my wife, I said, okay, this is just affirmation i need to be doing this you know full time and nothing else and i didn't know what that meant exactly but mm-hmm. i knew i could make money from my songs and mm-hmm. that would allow me to sustain a career and have that creative freedom that you know we all want as artists we all try right. to ultimately have ability to create without being bogged down by bills and th- there's always bills to pay that that that's never right. going to go away but being in a place where your art can, you know, can pay the bills yeah. and you don't have to sacrifice your art. So what, what I do with my writing, um, 
I very rarely these days write for myself as an artist for mm-hmm. Jody Aaron's brand, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, I don't feel any less fulfilled. I used to feel like that would be, well, that's not, you know, that's selling out or whatever it might be writing for someone else mm-hmm. or, you know, writing for a different genre. Um, mm-hmm. I don't feel like that anymore. I, I, I get as much fulfillment, if not more, I just get fulfillment out of creating and it's not, yeah. It's not even for me. I, I love songwriting, but you know, I wrote a screenplay because I wanted to try writing a screenplay. I, I just love creating and I've always liked yeah. creating something and being creative. So it's, it, it's when it comes down to releasing stuff for Jody Aaron, like that, that's now such a small piece of who I am and, mm. you know, what I do as a, as a writer and a producer and, there's just, uh, you know, for me, it's just about creating and having that ability to create whatever I yeah. want to create, you know? Oh, yeah, I know. Exactly. I feel exactly the same. I'm, I mean, before I was able to, with confidence, sing in front of people, I was acting and modeling and I just, and I love painting and refurbing furniture. And I think like I'm a visionary, so I, I'm always coming up with big grandiose ideas that are always bigger than Ben-Hur and my husband's a project manager and he's always trying to poke holes in my ideas, but in a good way because he wants to make sure they're actually valid. But at the same time, I just, I don't, yeah, like um, I'm not attached to it having to be me as the artist or like I had my first um, cut in a song that another artist produced just this year actually. Awesome. And I didn't even know that she was actually doing it, but we wrote it together last year and, she kind of messaged and was like, hey, I'm going to release it. And I'm like, whoa, that's awesome. And it just, I feel just as excited and involved in that process than I do if it's my own. I actually think I, I prefer teamwork. I was always more of a team sports person. Um, yeah. But I love just being involved in creativity and telling stories. And like I'm even um, in, a, in a movie at the moment that they're filming on the Gold Coast and I'm just this like, random small tiny tiny piece of it and I was on set the other day for costume and hair testing and there were just people everywhere and I still get that you know that creative buzz of I'm just get to be a part of it you know yeah Uh, it is it's just about being a part of it and allowing yourself to be creative and yeah there's something in it the thought occurred to me do you do you ever wonder if it's sometimes that that inner creation uh the desire to create and you know, at our core, if it ties back to like mortality and knowing that I've been thinking about this, not like obsessing about it, but every so often I think about it, mm. um, you know, the fact that we're only here for a limited amount of time. And mm. if you're not creating something and for some people, that's as simple as having a child, you know, yeah. Um, or, or su- sustaining a life like adopting or whatever it might be, but changing the world some way mm. and creating something so that we know when that day comes, <laughs> mm. when we move on, that we did something good and we left something behind, whether it's a song or we are part of this film that mm. affected people and changed even one person's you know, emotions or way of thinking or, I don't know, I'm just rambling now. No, I, I now. agree. It's nice to be able to leave something behind 
And I mean, even with this podcast, I think I just saw that I've done over like 16 hours of recording. And I'm like, wow, after I'm gone, my kids are going to be able to listen to me ramble on for hours. <laughs> right. You know, and it's, um, I mean, it's a little bit morbid talking about it and thinking about it, but um, mortality is a part of life. You know, we live, we breathe, we eat, we die. And that's that's a very normal part of our society, but it's something we don't talk about a lot. Um, but I think it's also good to think about because it then reminds us to be grateful for the time that we do have, how little it is that we do have, but we do have some time and we all have equal amount of time to do and create what we want in life. And um, yeah, I, I'm a very curious person and like I, I did a science degree, so I love to ask questions and hmm. the sort of questions that I'm often asking is how can I be better and what what's the best use of my time here on this planet Earth and how can I make a change or at least if if something needs to be changed or I feel strongly about something, what can I do to be a part of that and how can I make life as enjoyable as possible, not just for me but the people in my life and, and around me. And um, I've done a lot of that and it took me a long time to get to it but I also took the leap of faith and quit the, the corporate career and, and the job um, and dived into the world of art without mm. knowing where the money would come from. But, it, yeah, it is a bit of a leap of faith, but at the same time I was following my heart and my intuition and I realised that if I was only ever going to have one more day on this earth, this is what I would want to be doing. And ever since I've done that, I feel so free. You know, I don't, I don't yeah, there's something incredibly powerful and freeing in being the person that you were born to be. And yet my entire life I was just searching for who I was meant to be and had no idea. And I feel like I've kind of found it and I'm settling into it and it feels great. That's amazing. I love to yeah. hear that. But I think there's nothing wrong with still searching as well. You know, we all just go through different phases. And yeah. Yeah. And the first step for, I, you know, for artists, for artists, for people is embracing who you are. And yeah. You know, that's a hard thing to do, especially, you know, when you're younger and it's just a tough thing to do. And when you, like you said, when you, um, that's, that's awesome to hear that you did that. But when I, you know, when, when you and I both left our careers in the job world that we thought the world had crafted for us, Mm. a part of that was saying, this isn't who I am. Mm. This isn't who, you know, I, I had a good job. I liked my job, but it was a job. and you know, I wasn't creatively fulfilled. It wasn't who I am. I'm a creator. You're a creator. And if, if you're a creator and you're not in a job where you get to create, that's very, uh, toxic. I think, I think it can be very toxic. Yeah. I, I guess that's where hobbies come in. Like people who have jobs, um, that maybe aren't that creative, but they are creative at heart you know, jobs are only a certain amount of time in the week and we have weekends and other times to fulfill those areas. But I, um, I wish America would be like that. No, I I feel like people work like 12 hour work days here and Saturdays and Sundays. But you're right. There's, there's certainly, yeah, there's certainly definitely room for jobs to Mm. pay the bills and hobbies on the side to create and, scratch that itch and get that fulfillment. Mm. Absolutely. 
yeah, we have to make time for it. But yeah, I mean, actually, I was in Melbourne um, with my first two kids, and we were definitely on that rat that rat wheel. We just felt like we we're running around in circles, exhausting ourselves with our day jobs, getting home on the weekends, and getting enough energy to do it again the following week. And it, it was kind of tiring us out. And we had an opportunity to move north, and um, it was a really good lifestyle change for us. We ended up having another baby, so we got three kids, and just the work-life balance that we've been able to create for ourselves in this environment and better weather, um, mm. it's, been, it's been much better for us. And little kids do need a lot of time with their parents. Um, oh, yeah. How old are your kids? Uh, seven, turning eight in November, and five and four. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, they're, they'll keep you busy. They do. For sure. <laughs> Mine are five and eight, so I'm I'm right there with you, but only two. Like we have friends with four and friends with three. That's even when when you're able to create, it's still <laughs> exhausting. They do wear you down, and then you know it's rinse and repeat week after week. It's I hard. actually really, adulting I, is hard. I, <laughs> yeah, I enjoy the creative age. Like my son is very creative, and my daughter loves drawing and coloring. And I had a probably a bit of a lonely and isolated childhood. So I'm kind of reliving my childhood through my children as well. And we play a lot of music together and sometimes I write songs with them, but I love also just painting and creating and coloring. And um, there's something really beautiful in being able to do that with the children. Um, That is something I feel like I didn't really do a lot of when I was younger, especially with anyone. So, um, yeah, there's something really healing and magical in, in children and, and being able to raise them as well. I think we learn a lot about ourselves as adults by raising a child. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Going back to your music, and this might be more relevant to Jody Aaron, but sure. you mentioned earlier that music is the core of your being. Is there, and also the fact that it's what you're leaving behind in the world, do you know or is there a certain message of what you would like to leave behind or something that you always think about when you are creating music? That's a great question. I don't, I couldn't, can't really um, pinpoint one thing. Um, I'll need to meditate on that one. <laughs> That's okay. That's fine. You don't have you to. You know, it's it. like, and part of it is, and you, you've you been to Nashville and you've written with, with people there. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, every song is different. Subject matter is different. What do you want to write about today? Well. Let's write something that's gritty and dark. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what about like, uh, what, what, what's going on there? Or let's write a feel good pop song that just makes people happy. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's different intentions that I go into songwriting with. Um, so, but, uh, you know, under all of that, I think, I don't know. I mean, there's an overall message that it's okay to feel. It's like, these that that's we want we want to or i want to affect people i want to move people with my words and my music and my melodies and my productions and um you know that that's really it just having some sort of effect on an on a deep emotional level um whether it's happy sad um upset <laughs> you know, uncomfortable, whatever that emotion is, it's just, it's very, um, I don't know. It's just very, 
I get a lot of enjoyment out of affecting people that way and, and seeing, and that I think that again goes back to that, that youth group song leading thing. I used to love just getting up there and playing and seeing the crowd react and then hearing them request something and playing it for them and seeing their smiles on their faces and, you know, seeing them jumping around, just singing back to me and alternating lines back and forth and that interaction with people. And, uh, you know, in, in, uh, as an adult, I don't really do much of that. I don't, I don't gig. I don't perform live. I don't interact with my fans. I don't, you know, one-on-one like that on stage. So this is a way, uh, to do that in, in, in worldwide, you know, with the media, the way we have it today, yeah. everything's accessible and we're able to collaborate, you know, from Australia to California. And it's amazing, um, to have that capability. I mean, it, it certainly wasn't like that growing up in the nineties. It was like, mm. you know, you're connecting to AOL, you know, <laughs> <laughs> wait for dial up. And about two minutes later, it connected. You remember that sound, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got mail. You know? I, so I exciting think- when you got mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now it's mostly spam, but <laughs> right. That's right. That uh, one email would come in, you've got mail and you'd be, Oh my God, I got a mail. I got to see what it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That excitement's really gone. Now I look at my phone and I'll <laughs> 200 emails and be like, oh. <laughs> and probably only two of them that I actually want to read. <laughs> right. Have to filter through. Um, but yeah. <laughs> how, how things change. You're so right. And I, I really love what you said that it's, it's okay to feel. And that is such a simple statement, but such a powerful message that I think we all need to be reminded of on a daily basis that it's okay to be human. It's okay to feel and have emotions. And I think it's actually essential to feel them. And it's important to allow ourselves to have feelings in, in the world that I grew up in. It was very much not okay to have feelings. And I think there was a lot of shame around them. So it's probably another reason why I love music so much because there is freedom to feel in music um, and in all art. And yeah. I like that. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, it's it's a generational thing too. There's, you know, mm. there's a whole generation that was taught specifically men that it's not okay to feel, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, uh, but, you know, it, you know, they were raised too. A lot of our parents and grandparents were raised by people who were also taught that. And it's just, mm. it's evolved. I think that you know, this, like the millennials and onward, it's like, um, I'm seeing more and more people embrace that, that concept. And, um, you know, it, it, it's not, it's a hard thing to change when it's ingrained in you, isn't it? It's not, it's not okay to feel like that's not okay. And then to, um, want to express that feeling. And I, I know a lot of people who, who are like that and that's, um, you know, you also don't want to, you don't want to come out and say to them, Hey, it's okay. If you want to be upset about this, <laughs> mm. like, what do you mean? It's okay. If I, I'm not upset, you know, it's like, okay. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a way it, it can come across as condescending to, to, um, yeah. you know, to talk to people that way. 
Yes. Is there something that you always consider when you're going into a co-write or something that you always do? I try to go in with an idea, some sort of idea, um, mm-hmm. whether it's the, the topic or uh, a guitar riff or a melody or a lyric uh, or a hook, just something to bring to the session so I don't just show up empty-handed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, beyond that, I, I really just try to remain open I try not to have, um, especially when writing with, I've, I've been very, very lucky to get to write with some of the people I've written with that are extraordinary songwriters. And, um, you know, when writing with them, it, it's important to not get, I mean, to not feel intimidated, you know, to not feel like I don't belong here, yeah. but also to remain uh, I remain open to learning from them. And, and it's not just the, the heavyweights. It's everybody I write with now. Um, I, I was in a unique position that my first, one of my first co-writes was with a heavyweight. And, um, I learned so much. I did. I showed up with, with a song idea and everything. And they took that song and they like morphed it and sculpted it. It was with, um, Jason Matthews and Phil Barton. And, wow. um, that was my first co-write. So it was like, uh, <laughs> intimidating. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, it was, you know, it was, I was hanging out with them the week that weekend and, you know, um, Jason's manager basically said to me, drop me off at my hotel. She's like, all right, this is the NFL songwriting. So you better be prepared. <laughs> and it struck me cause I wasn't, I wasn't, I just thought yeah. I'm just writing a song, you yeah. know? So that night I, I didn't go out. I stayed in my hotel room and I, practiced and played and meditated on thought and wrote lyrics and tried to come up with something I could bring the next day, probably, probably for about two and a half hours, you know, and then showed up the next morning. I was there early and I was ready to go. And that was enough Mm. for those guys, you know, thinking who the heck is this guy to see, Oh, okay. He, you know, he showed up prepared and, um, we got one of my favorite songs out of that session called I wouldn't be here. And, um, yeah, it just, just remaining open to, and this is something I think, uh, uh Marty Dodson said, another co-writer of mine mm. from Songtown, you know, Marty. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it he was an article. He, <laughs> he, he does have a podcast. Good for yeah, Marty. Yeah, yeah. He was one of the first. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it, there was some, some friend of his, I read an article he wrote about that analogy of the, the cup being full. Mm. Your cup's never full when it comes to learning and when Mm. it comes to creating, I I think the, what the story went that some guy went into a session and the person they went to write with was like, yeah, I don't have anything else to learn. I'm good. You know, my way or the highway kind of approach. And the session happened and they quote unquote wrote a song together, but Mm. you know, the song is what really gets affected. Um, when someone has that approach, it's got to be a collaboration. It's got to be give and take, um, open to learning from one another. And there's, it's very rare, even in situations where there's a bunch of heavyweights that this new person in the room has absolutely nothing to offer. Mm -hmm. That new person in the room has their whole life experience to offer. Yeah. The question's whether or not they'll offer it up. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, that's, uh, I've been in rights to work, you know, with, with new newbies, if you will, that are really shy and really scared to 
voice their opinions. And, you know, you're only given three hours to write a song, which is in sessions usually. You kind of touched on a, on a good point is that in a co-write, especially if it is something where, you know, it's a three-hour session and you, you may not have met that person before and this is yeah. heading down the professional songwriter, this is what you want to do. You also have to then get comfortable with, like you said, opening up your life experience to a complete stranger. But not that, that that's kind of what we're doing is, as artists anyway. We're actually opening up our lives and our thoughts to the world and it's very vulnerable. Um, but that, with, that comes with practice, I think, as well, like opening up and being comfortable talking about your life experiences with who anyone, essentially. Um, and it, if, you, if you're not doing it very often, it can take a little bit longer to calm down and, and actually feel comfortable enough to, to do that. But if you can get to those moments quicker, that vulnerable state quicker with a stranger, I am a big believer that that's where the great songs are hiding, is in those most vulnerable parts of who we are. Absolutely. What's the best advice that you've ever been given? I think you just gave it. Allow yourself to be really vulnerable in a session. That was pretty good. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you have to think about that one um, at all. <laughs> yeah, that was really good. Um, you know, I mean, I that's, that's, that's a really hard thing to do. Uh, but you're right that allowing that moment of vulnerability to um, surface a lyric or something. There's a way, I think there's a way to um, perhaps do that without revealing the whole, you know, mm. uh, psyche behind all of that. But, um, you know what I mean? Like, if, if you're writing a song about love, we all mm. have our own love experiences, and there's a way to... Uh, to feel that vulnerability and say something or add something that the whole room will know that it, wow, that's real. Mm. That came from, that came from you. Mm. Um, that, but that's not a lot of people do that. That's a very, um, that, that definitely cut, takes practice. That definitely takes practice. And the, the guys that are really good at it have practiced it a lot. Guys and yeah. girls, I should say, it's not just guys. People. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I'm, I, I've got to think on that. I mean, that, that's really good advice, though, there that you, that you had there. Um, you know, and, and Marty's advice about the cup being, always being willing to learn. I think that's, mm. that's really huge for songwriters. It's really yeah. huge. And for artists to not feel like they're, you know, I'm, I'm sure even like Bono, you know, from you too, he's, he's, some would say he's perfected his craft, but I'm sure he's still learning. You know, he's still learning about music and the ways of music and harmony and melody. And, mm. you know, what new can he offer on his next album? And, you know, we're all just, we're all along this fun journey <laughs> yeah. of art and songwriting. It's, it's such a cool experience to, um, to be a part of. Yeah, it's a good ride, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Gotta yeah. Go with the ups and downs and just enjoy it. Don't fight it because... Um, it's colorful. It's colorful. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I want to hear that song. Um, do you have any advice for someone who is just starting out, maybe something different than what we've just said? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, if you're just starting to write a song, 
then don't try to overcomplicate it. Keep it really simple. Mm. Uh, you know, write what you know. That's right from real experience. Don't try to force a song. Um, look to the Beatles and some of their early works for reference because their stuff was really, really basic and simple. Mm. Um, you know, let, let the, how to say this, let the melody drive the lyric rather than forcing the lyric on the melody. And, um, what I mean by that is, you know, can't buy me love. Mm. You know, instead of, um, you know, if you had a lyric and in your, in your mind it was, you can't buy me love, can't buy me love. And you're trying to force that lyric on, da, 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 da. it wouldn't fit. It would clash. So try to follow your melody idea and fit lyrics onto it. And you could, you could, um, come up with a real, that's how some of the best hooks I think are written. Are you a melody man? Is that? I am a melody man. Yeah. 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 Because <laughs> I can, I completely relate to what you're saying. But I'm also a melody person. Um, hooks and melodies. I realized my strengths last year when we were in Nashville, um, and Marty, I think, was talking about this and Clay, and um, I think they were saying that you know usually you're you're a lyric person or you're a melody person at heart. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't do both, but um, you're one or the other. And I was like, the one thing I know that I've always been able to do without trying, was get a song caught in someone's head. And I would sing them a song and then have it stuck in their head for <laughs> the next few hours at least. And um, Absolutely, yeah. Definitely I'm a melody person with a hook, you know. I, and that's what, whatever it is that comes freely and, and natural to you, that's usually your strength and your talent. Um, and it's good to be able to know what it is so that you can take advantage of it. That's good. Um, Hell to the yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Melodies um, are fun. <laughs> I mean, I think they're the most important part of a song, right? But that <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> um, if you could co-write with anyone, dead or alive, who would it be? Mm. And- oh, man. Great question. Man, oh, man. Who would I want to co-write with? Hmm, probably Kurt Cobain or Prince. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Prince. Yeah, I mean, I, they're very different style of writers, but I think I'd have a lot to learn from Prince with rhythm and melody and a lot to learn from Kurt with lyrics, you know, and um, yeah, I'd love to write with either of them. I think Eric Dodd said Kurt Cobain as well. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, beautiful. So what, what are you doing at the moment? You said your your full job is um, licensing music or? Yeah, um, it is. I, I do music licensing and music supervision uh, mm-hmm. and I produce for trailers and I'm working on um, an online course called License Your Music licenseyourmusic.com and um you know there's um right now i have some video consults available on the site for anyone mm-hmm. looking to 
start their own music library or learn about songwriting or producing or has questions about trends in music licensing, whatever it is. Mm. I have that up currently. And um, in the meanwhile, I'm, I'm really busy working on my syllabus and trying to, I want to have a course that's out there for people who maybe they've heard of licensing and they, but they don't really know what it is or how it works. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned like you heard about it, but you haven't really dabbled in it. Um, yeah. You, you would be the exact, exact target for our course and the exact audience for it because it's, um, it's going to break it down to the basics from understanding what is a license. What is it based from, from copyright? Who are the mm. players in music licensing? Who are the music supervisors? What do they do? What do the music editors do? How does the decision process work? Um, you know, if, if, if I, I get a bite on a license, what do I expect? What's going to happen? I'm, I'm going to get, you know, there's a process, there's a legal process involved yeah. with that. And you want to be prepared should that present itself. So you're not necessarily having to shell out thousands of dollars for an attorney. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm planning on teaching that and then having, you know, mock negotiations and having guests and all sorts of fun things on the, on the course. So is that available now? www.licenseyourmusic.com is live right now. It says, online course coming soon and you can sign up for our list or you can sign up for a video consult. Okay. I'll have to go check that out. I'll put the, um, the link to that in the description of the podcast as well. So that if anyone else wants to go check it out with me, um, you can do that. And yeah, that sounds great. Like, thank you. Yeah. No, and it's, I think online courses are a really great way to, um, continue to learn but more sort of for those niche specific things maybe you don't need a whole degree to learn how to do this but it's just one thing and you want someone to talk you through it um you know yeah really really good idea and um i think it's honorable to be willing to teach other people things that you've learned so thank you for doing that that's cool oh they didn't have it when i was getting into it it wasn't an option could have saved me probably two years of the grind you know, yeah. to, to really understand it from the get go is, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm enrolled in some, some online courses myself. They're, they're wonderful. They're great. Great. And music supervisor is that, um, is that like a freelance thing that you do? How does that work? I do. Yeah. Um, around the time I started my licensing company in 2008, a friend of mine brought me in to music supervise his film. He actually brought me in to act on his film. Uh, he thought it looked like Ryan Adams and he had a role for Ryan Adams in the film. So, yeah. um, I played Ryan Adams in the film. I was on stage playing guitar. I'll, you know, he had, he said, all right, now stumble, act like you're drunk. Um, <laughs> so, uh, we did that. And then afterwards we got to talking. It's a buddy of mine from college and from youth group, actually. Yeah. And, um, he needed help with his film. He had, I think, 12 songs at the time that needed to be licensed. And I'd been doing music licensing for about a year at that point. And I told him I, I could help him with the clearance. And um, he let me, he was nice enough to let me. So I had a $25,000 budget and I think nine to 12 songs to clear. And that was my first, um, my foray into music supervision. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And what, what movie was that? It was a little indie film or. Yeah, it was. It was in any film called uh, Don't Fade Away with Misha Barton and Ryan, Ryan Quanton. Mm. Um, 
and uh, Bo Bridges. And then after that, I was on a film called Camp. It was called Camp Hope with Jesse Eisenberg. It's now called Camp Hell. It changed it. And then, um, you know, a couple other indies after that, Chillerama and Three Three Veils. And in 2015, um, I was on HBO's The Music of Strangers, the Yo-Yo Ma documentary. And then uh, after that, it started to pick up a bit. I got on, I was on the pilot for Snowfall with Maggie Phillips as her yep. music coordinator. And, um, you know, I've worked on uh, trinkets for Netflix. I supervise Ugly Delicious and Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner. And I supervise the uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Fred Rogers documentary. Thanks for joining our songwriters, Tris, today. To join the family and keep up to date with future podcasts, follow us on Facebook or Instagram and subscribe. To contact me or learn more, visit my website, www.ray-lee.com. <laughs>